Don't say that. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at quorumreport.com, and here as always with the news of the day and the man who attended maybe the most entertaining press conference in the history of Texas, Jeremy Wallace at HoustonChronicle.com. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I, I saw all the legends this week, Rick Perry and Willie Nelson. So they All, all within like 24 or 48 hours, exactly. something like that. Wow. Um, update us on the COVID numbers real quick, if you could. I know that we have maybe seen a little bit of positive news here uh, just today. Yeah, it's mostly been terrible news, obviously, for the last week. We're you know hovering yeah. right around 14,000 hospitalizations, uh, which is, you know, the highest it's been since January. So clearly, you know, no matter where you are in Texas right now, your hospitals are probably pretty stressed out. And, you know, obviously medical workers are, are being pushed to the to their limits. But there is a little glimmer of hope uh, in okay. that the number of hospitalizations you know went down a little bit today it dropped 143 uh, okay. which is you know it's only 143 but that is the biggest one day drop in hospitalizations in Texas since early May we've been going up 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 and so it's just nice to see down a little bit mm-hmm. we're still kind of you know we're still about you know 7% higher than we were a week ago uh, and, you know, nearly 200% higher than a month ago. Uh, but those numbers are also getting better, too. They're not, in, you know, going up nearly as badly uh, as they had been. So maybe there's some hope here that the hospitals are not going to be as stressed, you know, in, in the next couple of weeks here. Maybe we hit the peak. Uh, that's, that's We can only hope. We'll have to see data over the next couple of days to see if this is a new trend line or if this is just a one-timer. You could say a glimmer or maybe an emerging symptom of hope. We'll see. We'll stay tuned, right? But I don't want to overplay that it's, you know, really great news. Everybody still needs to take it very seriously. And we'll talk more about the latest on the mask mandate fight and all that coming up and that news conference that Jeremy was at, which was just really remarkable. Although I was telling some people who had never covered Rick Perry before, some some journalists who have never dealt with him before, I I won't say junior, but they've never had to deal with Rick Perry. It was very, very Rick Perry. That might have been the most Rick Perry thing I have ever seen. (laughs) We'll get to it coming up here. But let's start with this voting rights fight, which came to a head this week. And I think it's fair to say that the Democrats really, if you're going to characterize it as a surrender on their part, that really happened last week, last Thursday, and then really was solidified this Monday when it was made absolutely clear that there was a quorum in the Texas House, enough members on the floor to be able to do business, which we haven't seen in about six weeks, right, since the end of the regular legislative session and the uh, Democrats had walked out at that time. Then you had them go to uh, D.C. There were enough Democrats for, what, the first couple of days of the first uh, called session, the first special session. But after that first weekend was over from that, they were gone. They were on the plane to Washington to make their case to the folks in Congress that they need to basically give them some backup in this whole fight over voting rights. Um, The debate finally played out on the Texas House floor over Senate Bill 1, which is now the latest version of all this. And uh, you know what? Forget about the numbers because nobody can keep that all in their head. Remember, during the regular session, it was a different number. And then during the second second session, the first called session, Mm -hmm. it's a different number. Now it's even a different number. Okay, don't, don't worry about that. Just remember this. 
it is the elections bill, the omnibus bill. Some people don't like the word omnibus. I love it because how often do you get to use it? I mean, it's it's wonderful. <laughs> it says it says everything. It's an aircraft carrier for every idea that uh, Republicans ever had about doing things on elections. Um, and this is what got a lot of people's attention yesterday. Now, of course, the bill uh, was given final passage in the House earlier today, uh, mostly party line vote. Uh, although you did see one Republican who's against this, Lyle Larson is a state representative from San Antonio. He was uh, tweeting, just tweeting up a storm on the floor of the House saying that this is everything wrong with his own party and all of that. We can talk more about him later. But listen to this, Jeremy. This got a lot of folks' attention as the debate played out. The Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan from Beaumont, Texas, the rookie speaker, had said at the outset that he wanted to make sure this was a civil debate. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Nobody took issue with that. He said that uh, he wanted there to be decorum on the House floor. And the rules of the House do say, and those rules were adopted unanimously, that they do have certain decorum on the floor. In other words, they can't be casting aspersions on each other, calling each other names and things like that. What he had said was, that got everybody's attention, was he didn't want to hear the term racism during this debate. All right. Now, he didn't say that he didn't want the members to call each other racist. Which, if you listen to the quote, I'll read it to you. It, it might be what he's actually trying to say, but that's not what he said, right? Okay, so we can only quote what he said, and I didn't see another statement from him about it. Here was what he said, quote, Members, this is a reminder to everyone to be civil and respectful of our colleagues as we debate SB1, the elections bill. The chair would appreciate the members not using the word racism this afternoon. All right, so he didn't say racist. He said racism. He didn't want to hear about that. Now, some Democrats heard that. It hit their ear, and they said, well, that's our best argument against this, <laughs> that, that, that this is going to hurt racial minorities, right, and ethnic, ethnic minorities, and that there's racial disparities with all this stuff. So when he said they don't want to hear the word racism, or he doesn't want to hear the word racism, here's how that actually played out. Representative Gina Hinojosa, who is a pretty progressive uh, liberal Democratic member from Austin, was asking some questions of a fellow Democrat from Dallas. Chairman Rafael Anchia, and listen to their exchange here. When you speak about the disproportionate impact, are you talking about a disproportionate impact on people of color? Specifically, courts have pointed out over and over and over again intentional discrimination against African Americans, intentional discrimination against Latinos, intentional discrimination against people of color. These are not my words. These are three federal courts across this country making 10 findings of that intentional discrimination. Intentional discrimination against people of a certain race, is that racism? That is. Ms. Hinojosa. The, those words, intentional discrimination, I think can be fairly characterized in that manner. We can talk about racial impacts of this legislation without accusing members of this body of being racist. Respectfully, I'm not accusing members of this body. It's a, I'm talking about members outbursts or inappropriate. Throughout most of the debate, Jeremy, it was what I would say it was pretty civil uh, and and pretty chill. Actually, I was on or uh, just really close to the House floor for about 12 hours yesterday. So if I'm a little punchy and bleary eyed today, you know why. Um, but uh, for most of it, it wasn't the kind of sparks you just heard there. Most of it was a pretty subdued debate. Now, on this question of racial disparity 
and uh, and racism uh, and discrimination. Um, I think when people throw around the terms racism, this this gets very charged very quickly, and people get very upset about that uh, on both sides of the debate. And I mean Republicans and Democrats, and not necessarily people who are of different um, uh, ethnic uh, backgrounds. Um, but look, the legal question is a real one. You still have standing federal law that says you can't go changing your election laws in ways that are going to hurt racial minorities, right? I mean, there have been uh, some real uh, problems for the Voting Rights Act, uh, you know, based on the uh, so the uh, Supreme Court rulings over the last decade um, with uh, Section 5 and Section 2 basically being gutted. Uh, and when it comes to redistricting maps, they can't be challenged on the basis that they're too partisan. But challenges based on racial disparities, and you've seen this in the courts before, they were using the word intentional there. It doesn't have to be intentional, right? The courts can find that the net effect of what you do can have an impact on racial minorities, and that can cause a problem for the election laws that you pass, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the, the thing about the, you know, some of the biggest charges of racism in this legislation early on uh, have been removed from the bill, right? And so we mm-hmm. do know, like, you know, Back you know in May when they were talking about getting rid of souls to the polls or pushing it back a couple of hours to prevent it, you know you were expecting to hear that from the Democrats and you did. You know it's like it was targeted at you know minority members. You know when you think of things like you know early on back in you know uh, probably April you know when they were talking about letting poll watchers videotape you while voting. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people thought that was going to be a form of racism to intimidate black and Hispanic uh, voters at the polls. So yeah, lots of you know issues within this bill to talk about. Those things are gone though. And so the, the question for Democrats is, did they some succeed it, yeah. mm-hmm. in getting those things out of there? And to some degree, they got some of that out of there. You know, they got a lot of pieces out of there that, you know, where they were most offended by still, 24-hour voting is going away, and mm-hmm. you know, drive-through voting is toast. We know those two things are gone, and there will be Democrats who make the case that minority communities were using those more than you know other communities, at least in Houston, for sure. Yeah, and they may have gotten rid of some of the stuff on poll watchers filming people, but uh, the stuff about poll watchers has not gone completely, right? Correct. I mean, they, they did uh, yesterday accept an amendment from a Republican that said that there would be better training for the poll watchers, which some Democrats said that's a movement in the right direction. Uh, but of course, all of this is predicated on what the Democrats would say is the big lie. And we heard a lot of that yesterday throughout the 12 hours of debate that, that why are we, why are we even talking about this? And you have heard, you've seen him say it in interviews and on the Senate floor, uh, Senator Brian Hughes, the author uh, in the upper chamber has said, this is not about the 2020 election, right? How many times has he said that? He has said that this is uh, just another uh, piece of an ongoing effort to improve elections laws in Texas. And Hughes has pointed to his past bills on the issue uh, on the topic to try to improve ballot security, election integrity, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think there's some truth in that, Jeremy, that there's always been. And look, there's let's let's uh, say it this way. There's a standing committee in the Texas House called the Elections Committee. So it's something that always comes up. Right. I mean, this is not something that just came out of the blue in 2020. We're suddenly working on 10 years ago was when they passed the voter ID law, which was bitterly partisan and heavily contested in the legislature. And it finally passed after several sessions. It finally passed in 2011. So, yes, elections, it's something that they've argued about for a long time. Here's what's different. You have not previously had it be 
the issue that dominates everything else in the legislative process to the point where we have a second special session here in the month of August, moving into September, where Republicans and Democrats are fighting about how our elections are conducted. We haven't seen that ever, right? That's correct. And so you have to to wonder, since that's the case, that's just the fact, what's different? Well, we do have an ex-president who's running around still here on August 27th of 2021 saying that the election that was – I mean we're coming up on a year ago. Yeah. Of the election uh, that he says was stolen, right? I mean, you would think maybe this would go away in the spring. People would kind of die. The whole thing would die down and people would calm down. But no, one of the things that came up in the debate on the House floor was the insurrection at the Capitol in Washington on January 6th, which was fueled by what I'm talking about, right? Erin Zweener from Driftwood, Texas, down in Hayes County, she had offered an amendment to ban people from polling places, and this goes to the deal about the poll watchers, she wanted to ban those folks who had any involvement with an act of insurrection, like what we saw on January 6th. As you know, as we reported here, one member of the Texas House was there on January 6th, Kyle Biederman from the land of peaches, Fredericksburg, Texas. He was uh, at the insurrection, and he took issue with uh, you know with Zweener trying to say that someone like himself, who was at the insurrection, would not be able to be a poll watcher or be able to assist a voter during an election in Texas. The amendment is all about the insurrection that you're claiming on January 6th. Yet yeah, you were not there. You don't know what happened. All you're doing is listening to the liberal media. Is that correct? Where did you get your information? My language is any insurrection against this state or the federal government, and I do think the uh, events of January 6th, which have involved or which have led to the death of multiple Capitol Police officers, are clearly the most obvious and noteworthy example in recent history. Biederman wanted to know, with some specificity, how many police officers were killed? As a result of the events of January 6th, he was sort of trying to downplay the violence and the timing of things to make the argument that it wasn't really an insurrection, that that's not really what happened. And everything that uh, we've all heard about it is just some lie from the liberal media. So listen here. He says uh, that the number of police officers who died is important. And he pressed Zweener to answer specifically, when did that first officer pass away? I'm just asking you a question. How many days? I am not advised. Oh, you're making all these accusations about Representative Peterman, I have been on a game show. I am not on one right now. So I am not going to draw up random facts. Sure, but recently. you're not telling the truth either. And you're making up and exaggerating what happened at that event. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm Representative Peterman, do you believe the events of January 6th were an insurrection? Lady's time has expired. Of course not. You could hear people there on the House floor say, wow, when he said that it was not an insurrection on January 6th. Now, this goes right to what the debate is about on the elections bill. Why are we doing this, Jeremy? Here's why. Because the candidate who lost won't just admit that he lost and move on. He was still telling a rally of people in Alabama just recently that he really won the election and that it was stolen from him. And I have to tell you, as somebody who covers politics for a living, and I know you that you feel my pain on this, Jeremy, 
it's getting a little old. Uh, to me, it's like a broken record. At some point, it's boring to keep saying this, that, that President Trump did not win the election. He lost. Biden is the president. And whether people like it or not, that's the fact. Now, is this something where there's false equivalency, where, you know what, Democrats, they had uh, the Black Lives Matter protests last year. And you saw Republicans pointing to that over and over again as some way to answer what for what had happened on January 6th. Let me put it this way. I'm thinking about it in terms of Texas politics. Democrats never win around here. They always lose. In Texas, they never win the, the you know a statewide race, ever, you know, for a generation. But I've never seen an insurrection at the Texas Capitol with, with Democrats demanding that they just, you know, completely change the results of the election. Until these folks have some introspection and stop blaming the whole rest of the world and changing the way that the rest of us vote uh, and, and instead say, okay, what is it we need to do moving forward to win the next election? We're going to be wrestling with these questions. Yep. If, if the next legislative session and the one after that, I would think. Yeah, exactly. And, and what's so difficult about this whole dis- debate over the elections, uh, it feels like so much of the motivation, like you said, is you know coming from Trump. But it's from Trump who's mad at four different states and how they handled their elections, right? And so the Texas legislature is fixing things in the Texas law to address what other states did on election day, which is even yes. more confusing, right? It's like Philadelphia, you know, you know, did X and Y and you know, we're working on legislation to deal with J. <laughs> it has nothing to do with it, but yet we're here we are, right. we're working on J just because Philadelphia did something that Trump did <laughs> not like or Rudy Giuliani did not like, you know. So it's it's all so weird. And it's like yeah. and, and it's it's hard not to you know look at both and say, look, there's a lot of, you know, overhyped language, you know, about mm-hmm. the legislation. Uh you know, and, and certainly, you know, like like we talked about, the Democrats have have a better bill than was you know, certainly than the bill that was up for a vote in May. Uh, yeah. This is a much preferred version of that bill. There's still mm-hmm. bad stuff about it, don't get me wrong. But on yeah. the Republican side, what they're aiming to get here is like this, it's like it's such, you know, minimal progression. And if their stated case is to, you know, get rid of fraud, there's some mm-hmm. vote harvesting, you know, language in there, which seems to be a really big selling point, you know, you know, uh, you've heard Senator Hughes talk about, you know, his concern for vote harvesting happening, you know, in some of the counties that he represents and that he wants to crack down on it. Right. And so here we go. We have right. some language in there to deal with vote harvesting. How you put are you going to put that on a bumper sticker? You know, welcome to Texas. Remote harvesting yeah. is harder than ever before. <laughs> right. The, uh, yes. <laughs> the, the, the thing about and I think it was what some county commissioners race out. In, yeah. Um, in Wood County or one of the counties in his area there uh, out in East Texas. How do you put that on a bumper sticker? Anytime I'm asked to talk about this on a radio show or on a television program and they have you on for three or five minutes because that's what happens on TV, you can't explain what this bill does. No. Right. And I don't think it's, and I don't, you can't like, okay, like here's a, here's a stopwatch. You can talk for three minutes. Go tell me everything that's in this bill. And that would be before you would say anything else about it. You, You wouldn't be able to figure it all out. And when I watched some of the testimony, uh, one one of the latest hearings, uh, the hearing they held in the House on this, there were folks asking why the Democrats left to go to Washington and they were attacking the Democrats for being against voter ID. 
which is already the law yeah. in Texas and has been for 10 years. That's not what this which bill has is. nothing to do with this bill, right? Right. There's only uh, one so, provision in this bill that deals anything with ID, and it's, you know, you have to have a driver's license to get your absentee ballot. That's all mm-hmm. it says. But you already needed a you know, driver's license to get, you know, registered to vote absentee anyhow. So it's all okay. As a wise man once said, and I'm going to say this to my Republican friends and to my Democratic friends, the bill may not be as bad as some folks think it's going to be. It's not going to be as good as other folks think it's going to be. I th- in a lot of ways, um, you know, in some places it may not make that big a difference, honestly. A lot of this stuff would end up having marginal impact, although I did hear from some folks, once again, who said that they were very unhappy with the language that is still there about poll watchers, and it makes them nervous because what kind of people will show up on election day or during early voting uh, to really be there and monitor what people are doing in a, in a polling, in a, you know, in a voting booth? Um, some people probably good-hearted folks, but not everybody. So they'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, Next in the legislative process, and I thought this was a key point, the uh, chairman who was carrying the bill, Andy Murr from Kerr County, whose grandfather was Coke Stevenson, by the way. And he talked about that uh, today and the fact that uh, his grandfather lost to LBJ in that special election for the Senate by 87 votes out in the Hill Country. (laughs) Um, He said it, it was... Interesting. He said that um, all these elections matter. Every vote matters. He said if his grandfather hadn't lost to LBJ, he never would have then moved to the town that he moved to as he started the next part of his life and met his grandmother. They went on and had their children, which included uh, Murr's mother. So he said if LBJ hadn't beat Coke Stevenson, he would not even exist as a person. (laughs) And then wished LBJ happy birthday, which is today on Friday as we're recording. Um, Murr said this is the key point that they would like to not have another conference committee with the Senate on this, that they would, they, that they wish that the Senate would just agree to the changes that the house has now made and send it on to governor Abbott. And I think based on some of the changes they made during the floor debate, that that is possible. We'll keep an eye on that. But of course that's where all the shenanigans happened during the first session of the legislature. And it was the reason the Democrats walked out in the first place, as you pointed out on the show last week, it's that the Republicans had to go one step too far in the estimation of the minority party. It was that they were probably going to all vote against it, of course, and make their speeches against it, but they weren't going to break quorum and go to Washington, yeah. D.C. over it until that happened. We mentioned the insurrection. Who else was there from Texas? It wasn't just Kyle Biederman. There was someone else prominent that was at that deal. Oh, it was Attorney General Ken Paxton. I want you to know that Texas fights. We fought 12 straight lawsuits related to mail-in ballots, related to signature verification, federal court, state court, Travis County, Austin, Houston. We fought, we won every single one of those cases. And because of that, Donald Trump won Texas by over 600,000 votes. I would think that the voter engagement programs at the Republican Party that they were uh, you know, working on probably had more to do with the Trump victory than any of his lawsuits. Um, the congressional committee created to investigate the January 6th attacks on the U.S. Capitol has now requested communications between former President Trump, including his officials and allies, and Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton. He's being dragged into this whole thing. We will see where that goes, Jeremy. I'm not sure that it uh, is any sort of a liability in his Republican primary for re-election, anything that they can do to remind 
the voters in the Republican primary that he's Trump's guy is probably a good thing for him on that front. Although at the same time, Paxton has other legal issues. You saw this week where his office uh, released an anonymous report, <laughs> an anonymous report, unsigned report that cleared him of all wrongdoing in the latest investigation against him after some of his employees at the attorney general's office who then quit had said he was guilty of abuse of office and bribery. Come to find out through some reporting, uh, I saw where uh, Taylor Goldenstein at uh, the Houston Chronicle had, had, had put it out there that uh, one of his top aides, Brent Webster, who's the first assistant attorney general, actually had a lot to do with putting together that report that says that, hey, our boss didn't do anything wrong. But the thing about Paxton is it seems to me, and maybe I'm just jaded, but and we'll talk about another person in just a second that I may be jaded about. Um, nothing sticks to him. Like it doesn't matter. He, he's been under indictment for six years and or however long it's been, and he still wins his races. And you know now he's got this other investigation hanging out over his head, and he's got Trump's endorsement. And he, by by all estimates right now, I think he would be the odds-on favorite for re-election. Am I off? Yeah, but if there's a Republican who you would put money on, the most likely incumbent Republican to lose your election, that'd be the guy I put the money on. You know, even with Trump's sure. endorsement, uh, like he's he's kind of hanging he's hanging in there. You know, remember just four years ago his race against Justin Nelson, uh, Nelson came far closer to defeating him than I think almost anybody could have predicted at that point. Mm -hmm. So he may survive his Republican primary. You know, which is you know again with Trump as his as an endorsement, it's going to be hard not to. Uh, but if he survives that, it's like he's going to have a tough battle, I think, in the general election. He's the race that I would be most likely to expect a Democrat to be able to pull that off. Who that Democrat is, not sure yet. Right, and you, you would have to, and that we have to say that with all these races at the top of the ticket with uh, the Democratic Party not having anybody yet running for governor. They sort of have a candidate for lieutenant governor, right? Is, um, is Mike Collier officially announced, or was he still on his sort of listening to her. No, he's, he's out there. He's definitely... He's uh, out there. I mean, it says he's running, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, but for these other races, you still have to wonder if the uh, if the Castro brothers don't wonder that if they could have pushed in all their chips on that last race, that last time when Nelson came so close, if they could have gotten across the finish line. Um, you were at this news conference at the Texas Capitol. Uh, when was this? Was this Monday or Tuesday? Well, well, before you go any uh, further, can I just yeah. put news conference yeah. in air quotes? You know, news like, conference you know, uh, or infomercial. Yeah, we're, we're going to be very careful I, with using the word news conference with this one. <laughs> well, um, I, I I kept expecting to hear the words, wait, there's more. <laughs> Every time they would talk about this air filtration system that Perry owns a piece of, what's it called, IVP? Yes. Um, and Perry has been on the board and uh, being paid by this company for some time to promote it. And he, and this is the way this works. I had a lot of people ask the question, how do you have someone who's now a private citizen be able to commandeer state resources as he did earlier this week for this quote unquote news conference uh, to talk about putting these air filtration systems in public schools? Perry was making this big pitch and he said that it was, I think he said it was the most important news conference of his life. Yes. Of his entire <laughs> career. <laughs> right because and i thought um it, it was like one of those multi-level marketing presentations i don't know if you've ever been dragged into one of those um i remember one in dallas where you know there's a, there's a scientist who comes out in a in a white lab coat to tell you that the nutritional supplements that they're going to have you sell your friends and relatives that they'll say things like 
And we're not saying that it's the fountain of youth. However, you know, and then they go on to tell you all the benefits of this thing. Um, with this, they had a scientist come out wearing a mask, and he stands in between two of the HVAC units, these IVP units, that are supposed to be killing the COVID-19 that's in the air. I mean, they didn't just say that it, um, but they didn't say it just takes it out of the air and stores it. They said it kills it, right? I mean, they went one step further than anything I've ever heard about any of these air filtration systems. And the Texas House and the, the, the Capitol has its own filtration systems that are sort of similar, but I was told not as good as these ones that Perry is selling now. And so they had the scientist come out. He's wearing his mask, and he basically said that, you know, in these days of COVID, you have to wear a mask. And then he took the mask off and said, but I don't have to wear them right here because I'm standing in front of these. And he points to the air filtration systems by this company. Um, this is from – th- did you record this on your phone, Jeremy? I took this off your Twitter feed. Yes. Here. Here's, here's, uh, here's Perry. And it's a little noisy because they ran the these uh, basically air conditioners. They ran them throughout – the quote-unquote news conference, you can hear Perry talk about how important it is that these be installed in public schools all throughout the state of Texas because the kids shouldn't be wearing masks. They should be able to see each other and see the see the teacher, and it's such an important part of their life. Just listen to how he's selling these things at your Texas Capitol. You know, I appreciate the politics that's being played out there, but this is about getting our kids back into school. Allowing them to have that interaction without a mask on their face so that they can see those reflections. They learn at a, at, at a, a very early age those facial contortions and smiles and frowns. And, and so it's very important that we don't send the message every day. You gotta have a mask on if you're gonna go to our schools. And this is the way to do it. In fact, it turned out that one of the co-founders of this company, which Perry is uh, on the board of and would not say how much money he's making off this deal. Right? One of the reporters who was there, a, a senior reporter, John Moritz, um, had asked him, How big a piece of this company do you have? And, and the Perry's answer was, Now that's none of your business. Yep. I'm a I'm a private citizen now. <laughs> um, it, the, it turns out that one of the co-founders uh, had his uh, medical license restricted years ago by the Texas Medical Board uh, over some surgeries that were maybe being done improperly. And that might sound like a little thing, but it's not. The TMB, the medical board, it, it takes a lot for them to do anything like that. Usually there have to be some serious complaints. That guy, by the way, had said that there were just some doctors there in Beaumont where he's from uh, who were spreading lies and innuendo about him. But Jeremy, this is the kind of thing that a lot of people had never seen before, but it's because they never really interacted with Rick Perry before. And I was thinking that this is sort of like, it's like Rick Perry on steroids. When he was the governor, there would always be some version of something like this. It might not have been quite as in your face as this was. Uh, But what did you think as you stood there listening to all this and what were the reactions like? Well, it's interesting because so I just kept thinking about the big picture, which is like, as you mentioned earlier, here you have a private citizen, you know, granted former governor Rick Perry 
using a place in the Capitol building to try to pitch this to the state legislature. You know, so he's, you know, he's talking to, you know, he told me that he was talking to both, you know, Governor Abbott and Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida trying to get them to buy this product. And at this press conference, he had members of the House Appropriations Committee, you know, where he's, you know, they were sitting at the dais uh, and you kind of almost wondered why, you know, it's like, and so he's just trying to sell this product to these workers. The other thing, you know, to kind of keep in mind with this thing, the IVP thing, uh, th- those filters are already being used in places around the state. There are a couple of schools that have it, but most notably it's used at the George R. Brown Convention Center in Houston. That's a very newsworthy, you know, item this week. It turns out the day after, uh, that Rick Perry was talking about this and how it's in use at the George R. Brown Convention Center, making it a safe place for people to be. That's when the NRA announced that they are not going to have their conference at the George R. Brown Convention Center. Uh, the NRA pulled out of Houston. Uh, they were supposed to be here the next weekend to have their big mm. 150th anniversary you know, celebration. Wow. But mm-hmm. despite the George R. Brown Convention Center having the IP, IVP filter, it wasn't enough to keep the NRA on track. They scrapped it because of the growing COVID cases in the Houston yeah. area. And so it was, it was a lot going on there in that press conference. And if you had told those folks, oh, by the way, a day from now, uh, the George R. Brown Convention Center will lose, you know, probably one of its biggest conventions of the year, even with your filter in it, they probably mm-hmm. would have gone, uh-oh. <laughs> and one other yeah. thing, as, as we were walking out, I asked Governor Perry the very question you had at the very beginning of this thing, which is, you know, this sounded a little like an infomercial. He did yes. not enjoy that question. <laughs> he told me, look, anytime I believe in a product, I will pitch it. <laughs> he made it clear to me that he believes in this technology, and yeah. you know, it was not an infomercial, and he was just you know, doing what's best to save the you know, school children of Texas. I was just uh, shaking my head, and I was thinking about uh, years ago, I guess it was in 2006, 2007, Governor Perry, when he was in office, uh, had a similar line when he issued an executive order that all school-age girls in Texas would have to take a, uh, a vaccine. Uh, for HPV, which of course can lead to cervical cancer. And at the time, he had said that was the same thing. He said, this is about saving the lives of young people. But then the question came up, who's making money on this deal? With Rick Perry, you could always ask the question, who's making money on this deal? And it turned out that his former chief of staff, who's a very powerful lobbyist named Mike Toomey, uh, had Merck as a client, which was the, the company that made the shot that made the HPV vaccine, which was uh, Gardasil. Uh, And at that time, it so angered conservative lawmakers that Perry would do that, that he would mandate a vaccine for young women based on a couple of things. One, and it wasn't the same kind of sort of vaccine hesitancy that we see now. The argument at that time went something like this. It it was basically conservatives, those on the right, were saying that um, if you give girls a vaccine that has to do with an STD, a sexually transmitted disease, then that will encourage young girls to have premarital sex, which is an argument without basis. Giving them the shot is not going to make them go immediately have sex. That's ridiculous. But you did have you know pushback from the legislature, and they actually canceled out his executive order through statute. They voted to, to cancel him out. Now, that's a time when you had a governor who believed in vaccines, and you had a legislature willing to buck the governor. 
we don't have either of those anymore, right? So we're in a different era. Um, but there were all the same questions at that time. Now, we do have a lot of news on the COVID front. It, we just talked about that quote-unquote news conference. Um, we told folks last week that Governor Abbott had contracted COVID-19, but now we've got a negative test for him, but a positive test for another Republican official. Yeah, you had, had Congressman Troy Nails of, you know, the Fort Bend. You know, it's like he's in his first year uh, in Congress, and on you know, Saturday he announced to his supporters that he had gotten COVID-19. Uh, and he ended up going in through that, you know, using that antibody, you know, transfusion treatment, uh, you know, so like to, to try to recover from it. He had some of the, the symptoms that he was still fighting with, but uh, mm-hmm. he sounds like he's doing better uh, according to the last updates he's given. But that's another member of Congress. You know, we've had quite a few of them in Texas who have tested positive for COVID-19. Yeah. And obviously, you know, earlier in the year we had, you know, Congressman Wright pass away from this being the right. first congressman, a sitting congressman to actually die, you know, with complications from COVID-19. We have seen the Biden administration making more moves against Texas and some other states, uh, which is really flipping the script over the last decade. At least we have seen Texas mostly challenging what the feds are doing, um, you know, whether that would be when Governor Abbott was the attorney general and he would describe his job as being the guy who goes to work in the morning, sues President Obama and then goes home. It's getting to the point where. Governor Abbott goes to work, gets sued by President Biden or by cities and counties, and then goes home. It's it's all a very different situation. President Biden had said in the last week that he has asked the Secretary of Education to look at things they could do to crack down on governors who are blocking school districts from requiring masks in the schools to try to protect children. Here's what uh, the president said about that. They're setting a dangerous tone. For example, last week, At a school board meeting in Tennessee, protesters threatened doctors and nurses who were testifying making the case for masking children in schools. Intimidation and the threats we're seeing across the country are wrong. They're unacceptable. The governor is not backing down, Jeremy, in this fight that we have been covering here for the last few weeks uh, with the school districts in particular. And it's not uh, unusual at this point in the pandemic for us to hear about arguments between the governor and cities and counties. They've been at that for a while, right? Talking about mask mandates, um, certain capacity limits for uh, businesses and things like that. This is a different fight in a lot of ways. Let me give a a good example of why this is treacherous um, territory for Republicans. Go to a traditionally solid Republican county like Collin County, which, as we know, the numbers are changing there, right? And, and, uh, you know, we'll we'll probably see competitive races there again next year in the state uh, house and maybe for Congress as well. But there are two giant school districts there. Uh, The Allen ISD, where they are not in favor of masks for the kids as a mandatory thing. And then you have the Plano ISD where people are a lot more open to it. So you have a state representative there, uh, a couple of them uh, who have that area, uh, who are in, an, in, a, in a spot that's, that's split. Right? So what are they supposed to do about this? They're, they're, their folks do not agree that the governor should be able to tell school districts what to do to keep children safe. We have seen in rural parts of Texas – the Paris ISD, which we talked about before, they came up with a creative way to deal with this, which is not to mandate masks, but instead to make masks part of the dress code because yep. they're trying to get around that. There's a lot of support for masking of children who up until now have not been able to get the vaccine, those kids who are 12 and under. 
And so there's no other way to protect them other than distancing, masks, and those sorts of things. And you would think that a lot of these Republicans who have been very adamant that children should actually be in class instead of remote learning, which we know uh, is actually better for the kids to be in person to do for their, you know, for their education. But to do that, you have to take some of these other precautions. It was sort of the same as when we didn't have the vaccine as available and the governor went ahead and said, we're going to open up all the businesses and you also don't have to have masks either. You know, can there ever be any balance here? Can we ever say, okay, look, it doesn't have to be all one or the other. It can be that we have the kids in school, which is what y'all say you want. But to be able to do that, the school districts need the flexibility to be able to say, you know what, for those kids 12 and younger, we're going to say they have to put a mask on their face. Yeah, and one of the things that's really kind of stuck with me is like how many private schools in the state of Texas are requiring masks of their children and how many public schools want to, but the governor is trying to stop it. I spent way too much time thinking about the idea that, you know, private school kids are going to be wearing masks, but Mm -hmm. my kids at a public school may not be allowed to because of the governor. It seems like a little bit of a class issue there if you get into it too much, you know, it's like, and certainly I'm not, I'm, I'm sure that's not what they intended it to happen, mm-hmm. but it's something when the wealthy and the politicians who send their kids to private schools know that their kids are masked and mm-hmm. the parents in public school systems throughout West Texas, East Texas, no matter where you're not going to have the benefit of that mask on. Yeah, and I think this comment doesn't really um, come down on the side of uh, you know one argument or the other, whether it's the governor or the ISDs or the cities and counties. When there's a crisis going on, what people need from leadership is a consistent message about what they need to do as citizens to help address it, yeah. right? Um, and I th- you could compare it to a hurricane bearing down on Houston. Let's say that, and you know, we're in hurricane season yeah. now. Yeah. And I, with something and of course, churning in the Gulf right wants now, that. that's a bad, you know, well, actually, no, it's the right thing to say because, because here's why, because people are going to need to know which direction to drive. True. Right. So if local leadership says y'all need to clear out of here and, and, and listen to the local leadership on this stuff, folks, because there are certain times when they need to evacuate people and get people out of there. There's other times that you need to stay put. Right. And they're watching the whole picture and not just what's happening in your neighborhood. And I was there in 2005 when they cleared three million people out of Houston. The evacuation itself became a disaster. Think about this. In 2005, in the middle of the night, uh, Bill White, who was the mayor of Houston at the time, had to call Rick Perry, the governor, on the phone and get him to get TxDOT to turn the freeways out of Houston into one-way streets to the west and to the north. 290 and 10 and uh, I-45 toward Dallas, the, the contraflow lanes. Really interesting thing to watch them do that. All of a sudden, I mean, they can they can do it like that, where, they, where they've where they set it up where the cars go only one way on the freeway. It, but in this situation, what they're doing with COVID would be like if the local leadership was saying, y'all all need to drive to Dallas, and the governor was saying, no, you should drive south into the Gulf of Mexico. Where that That's the kind of message people are getting about COVID. It's all mixed up. So people are taking matters into their own hands as far as trying to get the message across about what people ought to do. Did you see this deal in the Dripping Springs ISD where the guy at the school board meeting did a strip tease? Oh God, I heard about to it. Make his, to make his point about masks. <laughs> his name is James Akers. You don't see this at a school board meeting often. He, he wanted to make the point 
about the fact that there are rules we all have to follow, and they're not just to keep ourselves safe, but also others around us safe. I'm here to say that I do not like government or any other entity, just ask my wife, telling me what to do. But sometimes I got to push the envelope a little bit, and I just decided that I'm going to not just talk about it, but I'm going to walk the walk. So to walk the walk and make this point, he started to talk about the articles of clothing he's wearing, and he's, you know, he's got a tie and jacket on. Um, and as you hear him mention an article of clothing, every time he mentions it, that article of clothing comes off his body. Uh, at work, they make me wear this jacket. I hate it. They make me wear this shirt and tie. I hate it. On the way over here, I ran three stop signs and four red lights. I almost killed somebody out there. But by God, it's my roads too. So I have every right to drive as fast as I want to, make the turns that I want to. I got over here to the school today and the parking lot's full and I decided I was gonna park wherever the hell I want to, which in this case happened to be a uh, handicap. All right, now the shirt's coming off and the pants are not far behind. I really hate my clothes. So, It's simple protocol, people. We follow certain rules. We, we follow certain rules for a very good reason. Can I, can you stop? Mr. Akers, I, I understand, I believe you're a swimmer, but if you would mind putting your pants back on for a comment, that would be appreciated. You ever hear that at a school board meeting? Um, so it's back on to make your comment. And that should be a rule in general, right? That's expressed regularly. <laughs> pants should be required. Now, you know, living in the pandemic for the last year, pants became very inconvenient for a lot of people. Yeah. People were wearing, they, people started talking about uh, having to wear what they called hard pants because most people are just wearing, you know, uh, just like sweatpants or, or lounge pants around the house because they're doing all the work from home. Main point is this. Just like you wear pants where it's appropriate. You don't have to wear pants everywhere, right? If you're just at home by yourself and no one is around, it's just like during the pandemic, some people wear shorts, they wear their underwear, they could wear nothing if they want. Who cares? They're by themselves. It's private. Or they're on the beach and they're wearing their Speedo. Maybe some people don't want to see that, but it's what's appropriate. You wear your pants where it's appropriate, wear the mask where it's appropriate, especially when you're trying to protect little kids. I, I, I'm going to give uh, uh, Mr. Akers some credit on that. Although I never want to see it again. All right. Enough show. It sounds good to me. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm completely done. I am, I am, I am worn way thin after that debate yesterday on the house floor. We will see what happens next week with, I think the Senate may move as, as quick as Monday uh, on that, or maybe even over the weekend. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it uh, on the elections bill. We'll have updates for you at houstonchronicle.com and quorumreport.com. If you like the show, and how could you not after what you just heard? Uh, you should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcast. Give us the best rating you can. Leave us a nice review. We really do appreciate it. We will see you right here next week. Mm -hmm.